0: Episode 61 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Fergus Connolly. Fergus is a, a tactical keynote speaker and he's also an author of numerous books including Game Changer which I'm sure many of you have either heard of or read and then also his, his new book The the Process or process or whatever depending where you're from is how you say it. Um. It was great to have Ferguson, he's someone that I've followed his work for a long time and I think he's just a fountain of knowledge when you speak to him, the, the, the experiences that he's had with numerous athletes and sports, like I could have spoke to him all day about all the different stories he was bringing up. He covered numerous topics including the lessons from the different sports, the different countries and the different cultures that he's worked in. He also spoke about the importance of backroom cohesion Um, and some of the factors you've got to take into consideration to make sure that your backroom and the staff are, are cohesive as possible. He touched on, which we've covered in numerous episodes, the importance of language and communication. We also spoke about the art of coaching and how that's linked to experience. We also touched on coaching styles and how they're developed and also how Some of the practitioners that he's worked with are very different and and who he's learned from across his career and which has allowed him to create his coaching style. And then just towards the end of the episode, we spoke about cognitive fatigue as well. So we had a few pointers on that too. I think this episode was brilliant. I mean, I took absolutely loads from it. I hope you guys do too. Um, Fergus, like I say, is a great practitioner and someone that I, I love listening to speak and I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard him speak already, but... I'm hoping he's covered some stuff in this episode that um, will add to what you've heard Fergus talk about before. It was great to have him on. Please share the show. It'd be great to get this one out to as many people as possible. I think this is going to be a popular one. And here is the episode with Fergus. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 61. I am delighted to be joined today by Fergus Connolly. Fergus, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Delighted delighted, Ben, thank you for having me
0: No problem at all I'm sure you don't need an introduction I'm sure many people know what you've been up to where you've been, who you've been working with Um, I certainly do because I've been doing plenty of stalking over the last few days of uh, all your work and all your content so uh, it'd be great to sort of delve into where you've been, what you've been up to so do you want to take us back mate to your first role, we just had a little chat then about where you were first and then we'll sort of work through your career so far?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess I was fortunate. I was re- I was really fortunate to come into Bolton Wanderers above all places, and I think um, yeah, I was blessed. You know, I, I came into Bolton Wanderers just after Big Sam was leaving, and you know, uh, some of your older listeners will remember. Um, you know, Bolton were by far the most advanced team in terms of sports science way back then. And Sam had a wonderful philosophy. He had some great people around him, Mark Taylor. Um, Craig White was there way back. Damien Roden was there at the time. And uh, they had built, you know, a legacy of um, having, you know, using sports science, using any edge that they could to try and compete with teams who had bigger budgets, like Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal at the time. And so I came into this organization that had... Um, you know, uh, massage rooms, massage therapy rooms, monitoring. Heart rate monitors were the norm then. They were accepted back then, whereas in some other teams, it was a struggle, or some teams weren't even using them. Um, But then we ended up getting cryotherapy. They had hydrotherapy pools. So it was, to be honest, it was probably more advanced than some clubs perhaps even are now. And, like, it was, honestly, it was like a kid going into a sweet shop you know, Your eyes are just you're, so much that you could do. And uh, um, Phil Richards was the strength coach, strengthened uh, nutrition coach at the time. And it was just a great opportunity to to learn from, uh, you know, from what they had put in place and, and to build uh, on top of it. Um, so that was my exposure. And then, you know, to get to learn from, uh, you know, the coaches themselves and the players, like me mean Gary Speed, you um, see, Askalainen. Um, you know, you had Joey O'Brien from Ireland. Were there? There are just so many great players uh, as well. Um, and you know, just learning from them, it was it was a baptism of fire. But I don't know if it would happen today, where somebody would, you know, get their first job working in the Premier League just straight off, literally straight off the street. And, um, yeah, it, w- it was just a wonderful learning experience for me. But I think, you know, I think for for young people coming through, I think sometimes you just get caught up in uh, your role. And, and but for me, I was just learning from from everybody. It was like drinking from a fire hose.
0: So with that in that situation, Fergus, what, what do you um, what do you approach first? What was some of the first things that you thought this could be this could be implemented and this could help the players?
1: So I didn't I didn't have like a sports science you know traditional background I was just I was a teacher a PhD in computers you know but I was just fascinated by human performance so up until then I had you know traveled the world to try and learn from sprint coaches endurance coaches you know rugby teams everybody and I when I got to Bolton I just I guess I just looked at things a little bit differently. And I think it's something that I try and pass on to, you know, young coaches that that I mentor is, um, you know, if everybody in the room has had the same training and been taught to look at problems the same way, or even taught to identify problems the same way, the chances are everybody's going to end up with the same solution. So automatically, you know, I would see things or just yeah, I would see things differently. I'm not saying it was better, it was just I would see things differently. So, for me, going in there uh, at the start, uh, you know, I was trying to help get the best programs implemented. But I learned very, very quickly the importance of building personal relationships, um, understanding that it wasn't about having the best program, it was having the right program for that person. Um, be able to communicate properly with them, respecting uh, their individual personalities and understanding who was going to buy in and who wasn't. Like, I mean, you Gary Speed and you Kevin Nolan, and if you were trying to get both of them to take a post-workout shake, you know, um, you had two completely different personalities. Uh, with Nobby, you, you know, you, you had to have a little bit of banter and. Uh, fun with him and he would do it he was very compliant then on the other hand you'd Gary who would just you know do anything he could uh, straight away without thinking and it was just understanding the the personalities that were involved and uh, you know then you had Nicholas Nelga who was just quiet and private and did his own thing what was you know the ultimate professional. So, um, that was a big learning curve for me was respecting the different personalities and understanding that it didn't matter what I knew, didn't matter how, you know, wonderful the ingredients were and the things that, you know, we were doing, if I couldn't, uh, communicate and get across to the players, um, that I was there to help them and, you know, was on their side. But, you know, learning from people like Sammy Lee and even, uh, later Big Sam, you know, the you learned a lot about, you know, the value of that personal trust.
0: I think that if you think back to that team, that must have been like you say, learning from the players. You think about some of those players that were involved in, at that sort of a time. You have had a real mix, didn't you, of characters and um, personalities, but also types of player as well, like the from the elaborate to the the real solid. Um, solid professional players like there was a real mix of players wasn't there at that time
1: oh yeah Ricardo Gardner and like so many just like literally characters and it was probably as well um, I, I might be wrong but it was probably the most diverse locker room at the time you know you would people from every corner like Estelius. there you know you would people from every corner of the world Europe um, and that was Big Sam's gift and um, you know he wasn't afraid to be different. Um, you know, and everybody he had brought together. So you had so many different nationalities. Like years later at Liverpool, we had different nationalities, but not this, not as diverse. And that was fascinating. And it was fascinating watching how they all came together. Um, the common themes. You know what motivated them. And you know maybe I didn't appreciate. Uh, how much I learned, you know, being there at the time. Um, But it was, it was fascinating. And the legacy that Big Sam had left as well, you know, I've said it before that perhaps apart from Alex, Sir Alex, um, I don't think there's another coach has had uh, as widespread an influence on the league because he was, you know, the first to have uh, Prozone. He was the first to look at analysis in the same way. He was the first to implement sports science to really engage in psychology. Uh, like we had psychologists at the academy level, and um, you know that influence permeated through the whole Premier League over you know the next ten years or so. Um, and so it was just a wonderful environment to to learn from and to and you know to to be able to exploit. Um, so yeah, I think uh, yeah, looking back on it, there were some. Some incredible characters.
0: Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you've worked in numerous sports, numerous athletes, and I, I do wonder how you managed to get through so many teams and athletes in the in the time that you have. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Fergus, was I know you've done some work in, in with the military and the forces. So, what what's something that you took with, from the work you've done with the, those guys that you
1: can relate, or that we could we could relate to football? Great question. Actually, I just got off the phone with one group, and I think one of the things that um, we in sport, and this goes across in in the military um, at the elite end, you have guys at the tip of the spear who are having to perform uh, very difficult actions in extreme environments. And so that's the extreme end, and you see um, the challenges that they face and cracks that appear that you have to manage uh, there first. And then when you come back to sport, you come back to something that's not near as important. You see similar patterns, but they're uh, subclinical or they're they're not as obvious. And so that's the advantage of working at the elite end. You you see um, they're, they're starker. So the ability to manage emotion, the ability to, um, you know, to perform under pressure on the other side, then the need for recovery, you see it at the extreme end. So in extreme circumstances, that's where you see it, uh, clearest. And then when you come back to sport, uh, yes, you, you have to perform in front of you know, 60, 70, 80,000 people. Um, and yes, players have to recover. Um, But it's not as stark or it's not as obvious in in sport. So it just helps underline how important uh, the quality of training, the quality of recovery is. And I think that's one of the things that in sports sometimes we don't, uh, you know, we maybe take for granted is, you know, I know that there's a lot of, there's more emphasis or more realization about the quality of training. But the quality of recovery is equally important, not just the quantity or not just marking days off. Like, was it? proper true recovery was the quality there and
0: i know your your most recent uh resource that's out at the moment fergus is is the and i tried listening to the american guys uh saying this and it sounds much cooler <laughs> than when they say it than when i say it they say the process i say the process, <laughs> but i think they're cooler than me
1: um, <laughs> um like you mean like i even have to you know, I've I've had to change saying words so that uh, you know they can understand. So my yeah, even the way I pronounce words now is half half uh, half Irish and half American. But yeah, so um, yeah, with the, the the process, I'll call it the process for this. <laughs> but like um, with with, um, with with the process, it was I think what you find in um, the the biggest difference in sport, people think oh, you know, it's completely different sports and, you know, there's no relationship. The biggest difference is culture. It's got, you know, the, the actual sport is secondary. And so the the system within US sport is very different to the UK model. And there are a lot of advantages. I know that there are challenges. And, you know, even before I left the UK, you know, I was involved very briefly in a minor way with the, what was then the E Triple P or EPPP, and, you know, the you know, clubs, teams were looking at, okay, how do we, you know, improve the development of our players? And I know it has issues and challenges, but on the other hand, in the States, there isn't such a system officially, but there is a system because kids are getting identified at high school level to play American football, and then they're getting recruited into college and they're into the NFL. But because they don't have that scaffold of an academy structure, it's harder to track, improve and develop players and so, with uh, the process, the, the idea was to try and help formalise that and help put a structure in place to help the development of players, you know, um, the whole way through so that you're not just starting from scratch every time a player walks through your door, whether it's at high school, college, pro.
0: Do you think it's fair to say with that that when a lot of people ask questions, like a lot of people will come up with the answer of it depends? and And I think... That resource that answers a lot of those questions because it gives certain circumstances at certain times you use things and, and from your experience as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, I've become a lot more patient in my old age, I'm forty-two now. But um, I used to, you know, I, and I was one of these guys. I had, all, you know, I had the answer straight away the minute somebody walked through the door with, you know, whether it was a diet, strength, you know, performance problem. Or well, this is uh, this is what you need to do. But uh, you know, I learned. Over the years, um, the, the first answer is it, it depends because you. And really, that's not the answer you give necessarily. That the, the reason is that you have to ask more questions to understand the context, understand where the person is coming from, understand their background um, before you can give you know a really solid direction. And it's not to say that you you know you don't come up with a solution. You have to, but it's just make sure you know the answer is context dependent there's lots of different variables like i mean you would get asked or you know fergus you should um you know everything's small-sided games isn't it well you know what's what's the context like what, what is it pre-season and in-season or fergus you know we should always do you know speed works critical. You should always do speed work well okay but um, yes, yeah, speed work is important, but like you know, when in the season is the player coming back from injury? What's the position? What's his background? Is he fast? Is he? There's so many questions, and so that comes with experience and comes with time, um, and with coaches as well. Um, you know, it's the development of coaches, the coaching pathway. It doesn't matter whether you're a strength coach, whether you're, you know, a football coach, um, helping that continuous professional development of the coaches critical so that they can answer those questions as, as best possible
0: and I've heard you refer to your role before and I can't remember um, which podcast it was on specifically as the performance problem solver and I think that's a real really good way of looking at it isn't it that it's not that's, we're not um, narrowing it down to one title it's it's you're taking all these different problems and coming up with solutions
1: yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if I don't know if I said that, but I think that um, one of the, th- the the two things are that you have to recognize that the solution that you're going to provide has to be holistic, or at least has to consider all of the things. So, for example, if somebody needs to get faster, you know, a coach comes to you and says, you know, this winger or in you know, football, or receiver, whatever needs to get faster. Um, you know, the first thing to question is what does the coach mean by faster? Like, there's so many questions. Like, you mean, because sometimes, and I've sat down with coaches and, um you know, when he shows me what he means by faster, sometimes he's talking about starting speed. Sometimes he's talking about top-end speed or he's talking about acceleration. So it's his faster and my faster, the understanding might be different. So just understanding the language is, is the starting point. And then, you know, as you... Try and make the player faster, you know sometimes it might just simply be a case of he is actually fast, it's just that he needs to get leaner, and so recognizing all of those those elements, but really what you're doing is you're really identifying what the problem is first of all, and you know with like I say with young coaches, a lot of it is really identifying the problem more than the solution um, because very often you know we we learn how to fix things but sometimes our ability to identify what the real problem is um is the area that's lacking because it doesn't matter if you've got the world's best solution to the wrong problem it's still the wrong solution
0: and that language is something that we spoke about in the episode just before this one with paul white at stoke city he was talking about Um, the importance of language and and talking the coach's language and using phrases that they understand and it's vital isn't it that we don't we don't get our messages mixed
1: with with the language we use yeah i'll be very honest in over the last few years of um i've simplified a lot of what or written um you know books and articles in a very different way than i would have done you know 10-15 years ago because I wanted really to, um, no offense to the listeners, but my, my audience largely was trying to get to get it to the coaching um, domain so that it would help bridge the gap between coaches and sports scientists and strength coaches. Because arguably, you know, your listeners are probably some of the, the brightest and most educated out there, but we have made maybe our job a little bit more difficult by not, being able to communicate well with coaches and bridge that gap. And so using language that they can, you know, understand using their terms is very important. And a few years ago with, with one team, I remember I was working with the defensive coordinator. And one of the things we would do is we would go through every single player and I would ask him, look, what are the three, three most important, you know, what I call limiting factors? I, I don't like using the term weaknesses because when you start using that word, you know, everybody thinks, oh, well, that's my weakness, that's not going to improve. So it's, you know, i use the term a limiting factor because if we can fix it, then everything improves. And one of the terms that one of the coaches used was, he has no pop. And I was, I, I didn't know what this was, but it was only going in, sitting down with him, and him showing me film of the player where he said, you know, he doesn't have pop here. And what he really meant was starting strength, what we, you and I would call starting strength. He just didn't have the ability uh, to overcome inertia. And so once I understood his language, that's what I used. Okay, we're going to work on his, you know, his pop, which was his starting strength. Now to us in the weight room, we can call it whatever we want. But outside of that, that was the term that we used. And because that was the term he used, that was the term that players adopted. And so language is really, really important. And we have to you know bridge that gap and we have to meet the coaches you know more than halfway really to be effective you know we can sit in our own bubble and use really uh complicated terms and scientific terms which you know we have to understand that but to be effective we have to be able to communicate
0: yeah there's certainly a time and a place for that isn't there but but a time and place where you you don't want that as well um
1: yeah yeah absolutely and you need to you need to keep a you need to keep a balance, you know, um, between it. It's not about, you're not going to sacrifice, you know, the quality of your work, but it's just understanding that, um, you know, if you you can't communicate with the coach, it's going to be a struggle for you.
0: And that ties in. I wanted to uh, sort of bring up the, the the four corner model and the the cohesion between the different groups that we have in, in clubs and especially obviously talking now in, in football. So, Can you go into a little bit of detail on that and how you think we can um, create this environment that coaches are able to understand each other's roles, we're able to share, and we're able to create this uh, cohesive team rather than be separate um, teams working working separately, basically?
1: Yeah, so um, even in the development of elite performers, whether it's in the military or whatever, there comes a point where your strengths actually can become... In themselves limitations. And so even for example, if you're training an elite performer uh, in special operations group, for example, their ability to focus is something that's incredibly important. But when that becomes an excessive strength, it often happens at the expense of something else. Same thing happens in backroom teams. When you know you have a large staff now that have very specialized roles and they're very, very effective sometimes what ends up happening are you create, you know, you create a department now to manage all of the massage therapists or the medical team or the strength team. And, you know, the first sign that I had that this was becoming an issue was where uh, some teams were starting to create, you know, rehab departments or rehabilitation or return to play departments. Um, And that to me is just, you know, a symptom perhaps of a breakdown of the ability of the medical and strength and conditioning team to work closer together. Um, not in all cases, but y- you know, if you create more and more departments, that in itself means that you have to manage more and more people, or even, you know, you, you employ, uh, or you, you, you know, the most recent trend, I guess, was to employ or to buy G- a GPS system. Next thing you realize, you've got to get someone to, to run it. So then you employ somebody just to run GPS only. And, you know, they become a specialist in that area. And the trend towards specialization is helpful, but their ability to communicate and integrate with everybody else is arguably more important now going forward. So you manage that one of two ways. You know, we we fixed it, I guess, to some degree by employing performance directors or heads of sports science or heads of performance to try and manage the department. But the future going forward... Is really about um, you know helping all of these individual specialists uh, become more generalist in their uh, in their ability and their responsibilities, so that they have a priority, like they have um, a key priority, whether it's sports science, strength, whatever. But they also have secondary responsibilities and tertiary responsibilities to help them overlap between the departments, so that essentially everybody is contributing to uh you know to the the overall outcome which is and that you've got this shared message it's incredibly important that um and the most effective teams do that and do that well
0: because i think if you think years ago i don't know what what your experience is with this like if you take rehab for example it, it would start off with a doc they'd then pass on to the physio that would then go on to Possibly an, an S coach or fitness coach of some sort, and then the technical coach would take over. Without those roles overlapping, the understanding overlapping, isn't it? So, do, is that something that you think you've seen the biggest difference of recently? Is that those roles, everyone's understanding what everyone else is doing, and and it's you're able to move sm- more smoothly through the system.
1: Yeah, like uh, you know, I, I refer to it as the ergonomics of coaching because even if you've got a large backroom team or large staff just simply because everybody's so busy even just having time to sit down uh have banter that's where a lot of the information passes between you know um you know stevie's coming in today how's his hamstring yeah he's not too bad as I saw him yesterday or uh, you know he texted me last night when he got home just having those casual conversations um were a lot easier when there were fewer staff now you've got bigger staff everybody's you know very very busy and uh, so it comes back to the communication and sometimes then the buildings themselves actual ergonomics actual flow of people through a building means that you know the medical office is way you know or you know is on the far end of the building and you're not walking past the strength coach and you know uh, you know asking him how his evening was or whatever and picking up a few few bits of pieces of information just small things like that one NFL team I worked with the strength room was so far away from the medical room that the some days they wouldn't even see the medical staff you know unless they made a conscious uh you know put a meeting in the calendar and when you've got 55 guys even at the beginning of season up to 93 guys you don't get that time that casual you know if you want to call it water cooler time just to check in with each other and so that's you know, it's it's just a uh, com- It's a perfect storm where you've got more and more staff, bigger buildings, more players, and ultimately less communication. Uh, so the actual design of buildings is uh, a very very important part that a lot of people um, overlook, or just even the flow how people walk through the building can have a huge impact on communication itself.
0: Because those conversations can be the real key ones sometimes, can't they? Not necessarily in a meeting set up, but just in passing?
1: oh, they're incredibly important and even like I mean even just in terms of just uh, you know having good relationships <laughs> with people like I mean, if you haven't seen someone for a day or two, um, you know uh you, you just don't build up that rapport and sometimes it's banter like I mean, God knows we've all been around teams for um and staff were you know, if a stranger walked in, they'd think the the abuse and the teasing was so harsh. But you know, that's just part of football. And uh, but that's invaluable because it just keeps things loose. Uh, there's humour. There's no insecurity doesn't creep in as quickly because you're just walking around having banter with people, but sharing valuable information. And hey, you know, like you I mean. Are are you going, you know, are you seeing Jamie later on today? Yeah, I've got him. Uh, or I'll drop, you know, I'll tell Stevie to come see you straight after he's done his, his re it's Just small things like that. That And now, you know, it goes, and this was the other thing, and I I feel a little bit guilty because, it, you know, I was one of the first with, um, when I was at uh, the White rugby team, we put in, you know, uh, touchscreen monitoring. I think we were probably one of the first to do it, if not the first. And we had all this data collected. But the rush then to have uh, athlete management systems meant that now everybody feels as though they have to put every single comment in, you know, in a in an IT system, and you know that's now become more important than picking up the phone or walking down the corridor to someone to say, you know, because there's this trail of accountability, and that has taken away. A little bit of the the personal skills the soft skills that are needed to be a very very good coach
0: sorry to interrupt the episode with fergus i hope you're enjoying it so far i just wanted to give you a few little community updates um, of what's going on with our online community fergus was good enough at the end of this uh, podcast to do a little bonus episode for our community members so some of our members asked a few questions to fergus and he just took Um, a bit of time at the end of the podcast to answer those so that additional podcast is going to be available on the community um, and you can go and check it out you you can get a free month on the community if you go to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab at the top you can sign up there that gives you a free month you can go and check out the uh, interview with Fergus the the bonus episode at the end but there's also all of our previous network meeting presentations on there there's some webinars and there's our interactive forum as well that you'll get access to as well as discount to our upcoming 2020 networking meetings as well and just to touch on the meetings our next one at the time of recording is on wednesday the 19th of february we are traveling down to colchester united with perry and kamal the two sports scientists, um, Perry, with the first team, come out with the academy, and they're going to talk on the challenges they face from a first team and academy perspective. And we're going to run loads of different networking tasks either side of those presentations as well. So if you if you wanted to come to the network meeting, join the community because you do get discount, you get additional discount on the uh, network meetings. If you can't make it for any reason, we are going to film the presentations. So again, if you, if you register onto the community, you will get access to the presentations from Perry and Kamal. Uh, you'll be able to watch them back as well as all the other previous. We've, we've spoke about the, the soft skill side of coaching a lot, and especially a lot of the experienced coaches we've had on there. And I'll, I'll ask you the same question, but for, for younger coaches listening, when they hear that, what would your advice be to develop it?
1: so i'm uh, actually working on a on a book with uh a guy and this um, and it, this actually happened because i had two performance directors in the nba both of them separately uh, came to me 2 years ago and one of them you know wanted me to to take him on to to mentor him and i, I did and at at the start i thought initially it was to develop their performance model and he said no he said i i I I need help developing and understanding the soft skills. But, you know, that was the term that we put on it. So things like communication, the difference between leadership and management, uh, resolving conflict, those kinds of of things. Uh, Same with the other one who was having trouble managing people. And um, that has become probably the biggest um, barrier to coach progress Uh, in the industry is their ability to manage those relationships and soft skills and i think it's driven largely by this idea that your technical ability is the most important your academic ability your ability to you know recall research or whatever that is important but in the field you're you know even simply uh your personality, you know, can you laugh? Can you joke? Can you can you joke appropriately as well? You know, can you can you tease someone uh and can you have a laugh without offending anyone? Small things like that. And so for young coaches, I think there's a lot to be learned by watching uh senior coaches and, and watching how they respect the players, um, how they can have a good time, how they can draw the line, how they can be firm. Um, how they can be supportive yet offer criticism, how they critique the mistake but not the person. All of these are, are soft skills that, you know, you have to be aware of, um, you know, to develop. And so um, that's really, really important, I think, going forward for uh, for young coaches. So at, at the highest end, I've had this conversation with a number of uh, really elite performers the at the highest end you will reach uh you know uh an ability to be self-aware and to improve to continuously improve and i think that's what young coaches should strive to achieve as early as possible
0: so i think as coaches i think we can all think of a circumstance where we've tried working with a player and things haven't gone as well as what we initially thought in our heads and that's a learning curve, isn't it? And I know you spoke before on failure and and what we learn from it and that it not being a negative thing. So that's that's really important for coaches to go through, isn't it?
1: Oh Lord, yeah. Like I mean, you know, looking back on my career, and sometimes you know I can be um, maybe my greatest critic, but you you remember the mistakes more so uh, than you remember the successes. But the key is to is To learn from them, and you know, man, I made so many mistakes. And you know, uh, I was fortunate that you know, I had mentors who would tap me yeah. on the shoulder and say, Hey, for, like, uh, you know, even even at Bolton, I remember uh, Phil doing a training session, the guys were just panned out, it was in pre season, they were just lying on the ground. And you know, my first reaction was to go well done and to congratulate. And he just yeah, I remember him pulling me by the scruff of the neck and saying, Hey. Here and we just walked off just to leave them to recover as a group and to congratulate themselves. Like small things like that that come that's that's the art of science, that's the art of coaching. Um, knowing when to speak, knowing when not to, um, you know, and just having uh, you know, coaches who you can learn from. And it's that it's it comes down to being aware and picking up clues and watching the good coaches, like, and, and asking not looking at what they do, but asking, oh well, like, why, why were they successful or why have they got such a good relationship? Like, what do they do well and what can I learn from, um, you know, why they are doing it? Not just the what, because the what is easy. You can mimic coaches. And there are lots of young coaches who come in and mimic the behaviors of, you know, the guys that they're working with, perhaps without asking, like, why are they doing it like that and why does that work? And maybe when I do it, it doesn't work for me. Why? And it's the why that you really need to 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 understand.
0: And who are some of those coaches, or, or not even necessarily coaches, but some people that have um, had an impact on your career in in that way, Fergus? Who, who have you seen that you've worked with that have, have really impacted you like that?
1: Oh, I've learned from, you know, I've learned from everybody. Like, I mean, uh, you know, One of the first was Phil Richards at at Bolton, and it was Craig White, who was at the Welsh rugby team. You know, I learned from uh, even like you mean, even in brief interactions with Tony Strudwick, of course. um, You know, there are just ways that you, uh, you know, learn to carry yourself on and off the field as well. I think that's really, really important. But, uh, you know, this this is probably a reflection. Like, I'll learn from anybody, I will learn from a waitress. You know, and how, like, I mean, even just small things learning from, uh, you know, even military guys just showing uh, respect to everybody that matters and just uh, inquiring as to the why. So you, you learn from like even, you know, Warren Gatland was not the most vocal of coaches, which is and he had a particular way of that worked particularly well for him because. When he chose to speak, everybody wanted to listen, whereas then there were other coaches who spoke frequently and it worked well for them. And so just recognizing what's going to work for you and your personality. So, you know, you, you learn like, you mean, Big Sam has his own personality and it works exceptionally well for him, but very few people could carry that off. So, you know, why does it work? Uh, why does it work for them and what parts of that are going to work for for you
0: That's just developing your coaching style, isn't it? That that comes with experience.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like you mean you know Brandon Rogers at at Liverpool, even you know Kenny. um, Like you know two completely different uh, coaches. um, You know two completely different styles, and a, a lot of it comes with being. Um, secure in yourself and knowing who you are like I mean knowing your strengths knowing your weaknesses or your limitations the things that you have to work on and knowing you know this is this is who you are these are these are your strengths that's what you're going to lean on and then knowing the things that you just have to improve on or be a little bit uh, better at and but being personable and having a sense of humor is probably the most important of all that I think coaches need to (laughs) don't ever lose that.
0: Yeah definitely it was one thing when I spoke with Mike Mike Boyle he, that said he said that's how he gauges coaches where we go for a beer with him and I think that's really important isn't it
1: Yes yeah yeah and uh like Mike's yeah Mike's a great guy and actually you know he's 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 another guy that I've learned a lot from um not just in terms of coaching but just uh again you know, away from the weight room and everything. He's a he's a great role model, I think, for a lot of coaches to to look to and to, to learn from. And, you know, the the one that stands out to me is, you know, uh, I think his quote, I think he said it to me uh, some time ago was, I reserve the right to change my mind, which I think a lot of coaches um, don't uh, do. They think that, okay, I've learned this one particular way and I, I don't ever want to be, you know, I can't afford to be wrong or to change my opinion. Um, but I think that's the most important strength. Same with Dan Path, um, sprint coach, another great guy. And um, another guy who, you know, again, will, you know, inquire and, and quiz you, you know, why do you think that is, Fergus? Or And so those are the, those are the, the, and those are the conversations that I learn the most from. And very often, like, I mean, I'll, you know, you know, talking to Dan, like, and I we were talking about a, a project recently and I was saying, look, Dan, this is how I would do it, but, and, but give me a call and I'll explain why, you know, why I do it like this. Um, so you understand that again, I keep coming back to the why behind it. And that's where you, you learn the most with coaches is being, you know, open, authentic, putting it out there and going, look, this is how I would do it. This is the why, what do you think? Or where do you, and the, the other line I use quite a bit with, um, backroom teams is look this is what i'm thinking break this for me like tell me why this is not going to work you know because that's where you get the feedback well coach i don't think you know uh i don't i don't think that's a good idea because of this okay brilliant uh we'll change it how do you think it'll work um because you that's it's a it's a team effort you know it has to be
0: yeah that's a really interesting way of thinking about it isn't it i suppose it it comes down to a bit of ego management as well, doesn't it, in that circumstance that we have to be able to control it and and be flexible with our approach?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the criticisms, I guess, perhaps of the, the industry from time to time is, you know, people have, you know, that, you know, they claim, you know, excessive credit maybe for the success of a team. And, you know, it was Oliver Mealy, the old Chicago Bulls coach, who said to me once, and we We're talking about a particular coach, and he was saying, Look, the only person who ever made an athlete were his parents. You know, he was talking about somebody who was saying, Oh, I made this guy, I made that. You know, you, anybody who's worked in sport knows we have an impact and we do an important job, but you know, <laughs> we're not that important in the bigger scheme of things. And you know, if that doesn't humble you, well, then you know you're you're delusional um, so I, I don't see why you know coaches really should have big egos and even like I mean anything that I have um, and that I write this is my opinion this is what, what I believe in and this is the you know as I, I'm stating it, the best of my knowledge at this point in time and uh, you know I keep trying to improve and develop it but I'm not infallible in there you know in 10 years time or even sooner perhaps some things will be changed will be developed and improved on and you have to look at everything you do. Like I, from time to time, will go back and look at some of the things that documents and programs that I put together at Bolton and Cringe. You know, some of them are, some of them are so detailed that I, you know, I'm surprised even survived it. Um, you know, and so, but that's part of the learning process. You just keep getting better and better and f- seeing what is truly important.
0: Things progress though, don't we? I think that's always going to be the case and that is that is our way of learning and in 10, 20 years time we're going to do exactly the same thing, aren't we?
1: Yeah, so uh, a number of years ago I, I, called, I referred to it as the Omega Complex. If you look at the Omega symbol, it's a, a straight line and then you go in the, almost a full circle and you come back to almost the same point. So I think you know when we start out coaching, we are you know, we've got a few basics and we're relying on our personality skills, intuition, and we're working, you know, we're doing a really good job. And then we go off and we'll go on this uh, path where we'll go and study speed or or nutrition or whatever, or or a number of them. But we'll end up coming back to coaching pretty much the same way, except that we have this new knowledge now and we understand why we're doing it. We might tweak it a little bit. And so that's really the role of, you know, Uh, professional development is to improve your insight um, into coaching and just gradually get better bit by bit. Um, But it's, it's important. I think it was Charles Polygon said it to me. It could be almost 20 years ago. You know, um, don't ever forget to learn from the actual work. Like learn, learning doesn't occur just away from the training ground. Like everything that you do, every interaction with a player you're learning from it, and Ricky Spreeja, When it was at uh, um, Bolton, you know, I remember late in the evening, uh, I was you know finishing up late and leaving. He was sitting in his office. He was with the second team at that stage. He had been with Manchester United. He'd been with the academy players, and he was sitting there writing his notes from the previous training session with uh, with the second team, and he was just writing out the drills and writing, you know, what went well, what didn't. And it was just a wonderful lesson for me late at night uh, in the training ground in Chorley about, you know, you you can learn, you learn from the actual training sessions you do, not just from books, reading, talking to other people. You yourself are sometimes your best teacher.
0: Yeah, and that's where awareness comes into it, isn't it, with our practice that we we need to have eyes, ears open all the time and, and be really aware of what's going on.
1: It's it's very very important and um, in today's society with you know where your phone is constantly in your hand, so any moment that you get, you know, you're checking email or text or making calls, um, you know, purposely putting that down and just making sure that maybe in the morning, as you're either going to work or um you know that you have time where you're actually just uh you just give your time just to reflect on things because that's the only time that you're really going to get you know and because the job is busy just to reflect or just for things to come you know that was actually that conversation was a little bit difficult i need to check in with you know that player that staff remember that coach when i get into the office just to make sure we're, we're cool or whatever it might be
0: i've just got a couple of areas i'd really love to touch on with you just from where where i've heard you speak on previously um one is is the element of of cognitive fatigue with players because i think this uh, i can't remember where i heard you speak before about it but it really made sense to me i think you referred to possibly olympic lifting or something like that like a a method of training that we use Um, and and the way that we use it can potentially be too much for the cns for the the workload that the players have done previously so what's your views on that where, where we're trying to implement new techniques or elements of training
1: yeah so um so charlie francis was the first person i heard talk about cns fatigue and you know he would write about it he would talk about it but i couldn't find a definition or i couldn't find an explanation anywhere and um i wrote like, I wrote my definition of it to try and understand it. And at the time, it was very difficult to find, um, you know, uh, even a scientific understanding of it. And I'm not sure if anybody has really clearly defined it. Like, I mean, people spoke about neurotransmitter depletion at the time. And so, but Charlie was referring a lot to the actual loading on the nervous system. And he had written and he had written about how certain lifts can fatigue. Uh, the nervous system so basically by looking at the types of loading that would occur um, the neural recruitment you could fry the nervous system was the term that he used but the more that you know I I looked into it there were obviously other ways that you could do it through and um, I think there's I think there's a study, actually, um, or an article that was written recently with uh, looking at Brazilian players who spent a lot of time playing computer games or social media. And basically, by using up, you know, the cognitive uh, capacity that you have, your ability to concentrate, to learn new things, that drains you. And that, that uh, makes players fatigued so it's understanding all of the different elements that can contribute to that neural fatigue where players are actually um, not able to concentrate not able to learn because it it doesn't matter what um, the environment is you're going to be be fatigued in different ways so you take people from different environments uh, or from one environment put them into another completely new one um, they're going to have to concentrate on so many new things. And that just, that fatigues players excessively. And then players who've been in that scenario many many times before, they're not as fatigued because they know what's important. And if you look at quarterbacks in the NFL, the big difference between rookies and experienced players are that the experienced players know what patterns to recognize. The rookie coming in doesn't know. So he sees as much but he see he actually sees sorry more than he should he has to process all of that whereas the the more experienced player has a a, be, a better ability to discern what's important so he doesn't have to concentrate on as much but he can concentrate on fewer things with greater quality and that's where you know again that all of this ties into uh, contributing to neural fatigue or CNS fatigue. I
0: suppose that's like the if you think of a circumstance of a, a young player going into a higher level game where they talk about the speed of the game and obviously they with their athletic ability they're up they could be up there with, with the best but you might have some veteran players that aren't necessarily as athletic but they that speed of game and the, and the nervous system how well they're able to take in information and act on it is really important isn't it
1: yeah. Um... So uh, it was James Willstrup years ago. I went to, uh, with Tony Smith, who's a fastening rugby league coach. And so I went to meet Tony in, um, was it in Warrington, or near Warrington. And so he brought me to meet James Willstrup's father. He was the number one ranked squash player at the time. And while we were waiting, Tony was uh, showing me you know, the squash courts where he would bring his players uh you know to do some preseason training and what they would do is um they had a young girl who would you know offer to play some of the guys in, in squash and so the, the guys are you know very very fit and you can imagine how how fit they are and you know they thought oh, well, this little girl can't you know th- this will be easy she won't be able to i'm so fit and so strong and she would just literally stand in one spot, and within minutes, the guys would be just panting and blowing. And in they were their fitness; they were not able to to compensate for their poor positional awareness, their poor skill, but also their poor um, uh, cognitive ability, because they weren't able to recognize the patterns as quickly as she was. And so you can compensate to a degree, but. You can't. So younger players coming in, playing the game, will maybe will move a lot more uh, to compensate for that poor tactical positioning, which again contributes to this cognitive load. Players being out of position. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why. Was the Paolo Mandini said? If you have to make a tackle, you've already made a mistake.
0: Yeah, he was he was the one, wasn't he, for being in the right place at the right time? And uh, there's a few others that are playing in the modern game now that you can think of. of
1: yeah, I was, yeah. Been, I was talking to, <laughs> talking to a guy from Milan recently. We were just joking about the likes of Baresi, Maldini, Costa, Curta. All those guys were just well, particularly the, the Italian defences at the time were just so cool, calm, and um, had this great ability to discern. And decipher the patterns that they were seeing in front of them and to be in the right position at the right time
0: yeah definitely and then just the final thing i wanted to touch on with you fergus was where you've your the use of games in practice and i know you um some of your work talks about the, the structure <laughs> yeah. of of um how you structure it as well because i know a lot of coaches out there will use games but mm-hmm. I suppose understanding the structure and when we use certain games is is one thing that they might not do. So I I thought it would be great to touch on this just to finish off.
1: Yeah, so um, I spoke recently with Chris van der Hagen in Vegas. We were both um, giving a presentation. He's with the the Belgian FA. And, you know, it was fascinating. Neither of us had met before, but when we were presenting, um, the philosophy was essentially the same. And, you know, games are... So important. I think they're more important now than perhaps before, for the reason that if training the the kids years ago would play so much on their own um, in game type scenarios with a few friends and their positioning, their just this intuitive knowledge that they were picking up uh, playing casually was invaluable and maybe underestimated. And now, if training is so structured. Um, and there's less opportunity to play and to enjoy the game. They don't get the the benefits of positioning, you know, emotion, all of these various things. And so, um, I think games can be very, very valuable. But at the same time, you do need to top up with individual work, whether it's speed work, strength work, whatever. When you identify what the limiting factor for that that player is, and the structuring of the games really should be around improving you know, the limitations of the players. So creating scenarios that inadvertently put the player in the position or to execute a skill that you're trying to improve. That's how you would tweak games. But, you know, playing games, um, you can just manipulate variables such as space, work-to-rest ratios, um, conditions of games, you know, 5v4, whatever it might be, to stress certain things, but you're still just essentially playing the game which is where the value is because there are so many things that we cannot that we don't even know i I give a talk um a few months ago i remember asking the group they were very experienced coaches how much of a human or of an athlete do you think we can measure you know in in like how many things are quantifiable like what percentage of that person and you know most people didn't even think we could measure 50 percent in other words there are so many things, emotions, um, spiritual positioning, um, reaction—all of these things that we can't quantifiably measure, but are affected in the game. So the game develops those things, um, and they're not developed in isolated training as well. So it's finding that balance between games and then specific training is is the key. It's not—it's never an either or um case you know games are important but you know if you just play games only that has limitations too
0: amazing mate i think there's some top information there and i really appreciate you giving up the time and, and talking through all that and I'm, I'm sure people will take plenty from it um one thing i just wanted to ask you finally was is there any i know you mentioned before about a, a book coming is there, what's the next resources or what's in the pipeline
1: um so we've got uh, we're working on uh, the process. Level 2's coming out. Uh, level three will be there, and level four, which are uh, really what I've tried to do, is just simplify um, the you know game variables. Um, so how just trying to and sometimes sometimes coaches um, you know want the actual program you know or, or a program, and I'm not a fan of just giving a program because I think far too many coaches so. The the books coming will outline like the principles behind to try and help people um, understand uh, you know what's you know so that they can adapt to their own specific scenario and so two of the areas that we'll really go into are you know, three are planning the year what the or the week like what the principles are for planning uh, how to structure small sided games or experiences for for players across multiple sports and then the third one is profiling the player so looking giving um, coaches like a framework to look holistically at the player tactically you know how do you um, the player and the coaches see okay where the what they need to work on technically what the skills are that they they need to work on the psychological side of it so you know um, their cognitive their learning Um, But also, you know, their emotional control and then the physical qualities, which, to be honest, is the one that we probably do maybe too well, you know, in terms of speed, strength, power that we can really measure. But making sure that we look at the athlete and develop them as a balanced athlete, because the biggest challenge in sport going forward is not uh, developing an athlete. It's sustaining that elite asset that you've invested a lot of time and money in. How do you continue to s- sustain their performance long-term for a long career?
0: They sound amazing. They sound really good. Where, where can
1: the, the guys get hold of your current books? Where's the best place to go? Uh, Amazon or through my website, fergusconnelly.com.
0: Uh, Great. Right. So I'll post that um, on the show notes, and I'll also put your um, Twitter handle on there as well, if that's okay with you.
1: Sure. But like, I mean, you know, like learn from learn from everybody. And like I, s- I say to coaches, you know, a- anything that, you know, you read, question it and critique it and don't take, you know, whether it's my word or anybody else's as gospel, you know, because, again, I think we all have pieces of the puzzle and we're all trying to find we're, we're all we're all presenting what we believe to be to be the best. And it's, you know, take pieces from everybody and form it into your own. Uh, you know uh, methodology and philosophy that's going to work for for you for a for a long career.
0: Brilliant. Well, Fergus, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate giving up the time, um, and it's it's a it's an honour to have you on the podcast. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: Well, take care, mate. I want to say a huge thank you to Fergus for coming on. It was great to have him on. It was honestly an honour to have him on the podcast and speak to him. Um, You can go and follow him. I'm sure you do already, but if you don't, you can go and follow him on Twitter. He's at Fergus underscore Connolly. There was loads of takeaways on this one. I know I say that a lot, but honestly, it was really hard to break it down. I tried to just keep it to three. I think some of my biggest ones were where he spoke about the difference between sports and countries. And he said the main thing between them is the culture. And I think that sort of stuck in my head. And you think back to like um, the All Blacks, if, you, if you've read Legacy and the culture that they have, a lot of people try and replicate that in different sports and circumstances. And it's not always the case. We need to understand where we're at currently and take what other countries or sports are doing and um, think about how we can relate it to ours. It doesn't necessarily need to be that we need to do the same thing. So I thought that was really good. He spoke about the importance of language, which we've had time and time again. He said about using technical language, and we spoke about there's a time and a place for using technical language, but there's also a time and a place for using language that everyone understands. So if we're relating it to coaches, we need to talk the coaching language. We need to talk the language of football, um, which also was um, replicated in our previous podcast with Paul White as well at Stoke. Then we spoke about, and I think this this uh, quote was great. Um, I think he said it was from Al Meal, I might be wrong on this one, but the only people who make athletes are the parents. And we we touched on ego with this about coaches taking, like, claiming to be the reason that athletes have done so well in their careers. And it does essentially come down to the parents, how the how the athletes are brought up, and then the genetics of the, of that player as well or that athlete. So I thought that was a really that was a quote that stuck in my head and I might be wrong with Alva Mill, it might be one of the other coaches so apologies if I got that wrong um, but I'll get it when I listen back through but huge thank you to Fergus for coming on again you can go and check out his new resource I'll put the link in the show notes um the process go and check it out he's he's co-authored it with uh Cameron Joss um so go and check it out I know it's going to be absolutely quality. Please, if you haven't done so already, head over to iTunes. Just help us out. Leave us a quick review, a little five-star review. would be amazing if you could go over and do that. Um, subscribe as well. Click the subscribe button. It gives us a better idea of the numbers that are listening to the podcast. We obviously see the numbers that subscribe on the podcast. So if you've not subscribed, please hit subscribe. And then lastly, I just ask that you share this podcast far and wide with as many people as possible There's some great information and I want to get this out to as many coaches as possible. So please help us out by sharing it with your network, whether it's on social media or whether you send it out, WhatsApp groups or messages or however you want to send it, please share it with as many people as possible. Big thank you again for listening. I really enjoyed this episode with Fergus. I hope you did too and we'll speak to you again next week.